Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you'll learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik. Today, it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Josh Kentwell. Hi, Josh. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on the show, man. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Thank you kindly for coming on the show. So Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures and a strategic real estate coach. Originally, we were introduced actually by mutual friend, Jason Medley, the founder of The Collective Genius. And um, I guess you still live in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, you are a, uh, a residential real estate, uh, I guess, recovering into commercial <laughs> real yeah. estate investing right. uh, investor. You got 3,500 doors. You've deployed more than 80 million bucks. And, but let's start, before we go there, let's start about you, your family. I know you're a pancreatic cancer survivor, uh, thank God. And uh, tell us a little bit about you, your journey, your story, family, kids, pets, cats, yeah. whatever works. Whatever. Sure, Mike, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show, man. You know, I, I think like a lot of people, I, I, I kind of started my entrepreneurial journey uh, I was very fortunate in my head. No, my dad was actually an entrepreneur. He started an employee benefits company when I was in high school. I did an internship for him. I watched his journey. I watched his path. And my dad was floored when I graduated from college, Mike. And I went into financial services. I followed his journey, right? And he paid for a very expensive college education. And I went into an all commission job, right? Selling financial services, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance. But honestly, that was probably the best thing I ever did. I started as an entrepreneur when I was 21 years old. I've never had a boss. I've only worked for profits and commissions and equity my entire life. Uh, I've never had a W-2. And that started my journey, you know, watching my dad, watching other entrepreneurs. And today, a lot of my success in real estate goes all the way back to that decision over 20 years ago of foregoing a W-2 income to be an entrepreneur. Uh, fast forward, very short background, uh, was very fortunate to meet my wife, got married, had two beautiful kids, uh, was already in real estate in, in 2011. And, uh, you know, my wife was pregnant with our third child and I, I was, I came home from work one day, I rolled over playing with my kids, wrestling with them in the, in kind of the living room. I rolled over, looked up at the ceiling, crossed my hands across my stomach and I felt this giant lump on the left side of my stomach. I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer shortly thereafter. I uh, had a massive surgery, uh, November 21st, 2011. Um, and the surgeon saved my life on the operating table. Pancreatic cancer, Mike, has just a six to 8% survival rate. And so now I'm uh, almost 10 years, actually this, this November will be celebrating my 10 year anniversary as a survivor. I'm one of the very, very lucky few and so when I look at opportunities to join you on your podcast, opportunities to raise capital, opportunities to do deals, uh, my focus is on creating legacy for my wife, my kids, but also to have impact on other people because you never know, you never, never know, Mike, the moment, the day when you'll be called, your number will be called and your life will be thrown into upheaval. So you have to, one of my passions is helping people understand that they've got to do what they're passionate for right now. Don't wait, get started. Don't continue on this you know, path of doing something you're not passionate for 
because if your number is called like mine, you're going to have a lot of regrets. And so, you know, I've, I've led a very full life, but that's a very short uh, kind of synopsis of what I've been through so far. Thank you for sharing. Wow, that was a journey. And a number of my friends, uh, you know, Corey Boatwright has had cancer experience too, and it's it's a wake-up call. It's that day. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, am I going to make it or not? And you're right. You got to live your life today because you don't know if tomorrow is going to be a call. So um, congratulations on your 10-year um, survival anniversary. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, hopefully many more anniversaries like that. And... Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. You, are, you have a beautiful family and uh, uh, God bless. And, and let's talk about real estate now. Sure, you bet. So um, your journey from residential to commercial, how did you progress? It's not an easy transition. And um, uh, sort of, I, I call it, you know, you kind of graduate. First you go, you get a good degree and let's call it undergraduate. And then somehow you, you go for graduate school, which is usually commercial. And by right. the way, I really like um, your comment that you never worked, you never had a W-2 uh, job and you've always been kind of in this entrepreneurial mindset. You eat what you kill, unfortunately, right. and, or fortunately, that's how it works. So right. anyway, let's talk about real estate journey transition. Yeah, Mike, I think like a lot of people, you know, back when I was a financial planner, I, I saw other people owning real estate, especially my clients. They own commercial real estate. They own restaurants, not the restaurant itself, but the building that the restaurant was leasing. They own apartments. They own portfolios of single family rentals. I took notice, jumped into real estate. Of course, I, I kind of married up my job as a financial planner, which was very entrepreneurial. I controlled my own hours where I could start investing and flipping real estate. At that time, all I could think about was I was very young, immature. How do I just make more income? I didn't think about cash flow. I didn't think about taxes. I didn't think about depreciation. I just thought, how can I make more money? Um, and so I got into flipping, wholesaling. We flipped, wholesaled and flipped hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of properties. But what happened was, Mike, again, you go back to my journey as a survivor, pancreatic cancer survivor. What happened was in 2011, I was ripped away from my real estate business for six months. I went back and looked at that 12 months before and after my surgery. I, I was at dozens, hundreds of doctor's appointments. There were, there were hundreds of days I missed work through the preparation, the diagnosis, the surgery, and the recovery that I couldn't work. And my income, Mike, dried up in a heartbeat. Uh, I made a lot of money well into the seven figures and it was gone, bang, just like that. And so I thought, well, you know, what happened was this little deal, Mike, this one little deal probably changed the trajectory of my entire life. There were actually two properties right before my surgery. I raised some private capital, bought these properties, outsourced the improvements. While I was in my recovery, I couldn't leave my house. I couldn't go to work. These properties were improved by somebody else. They were listed by somebody else. They were sold by somebody else. I made a big profit and it was really my first journey into being more of a passive investor, lender, if you will, private investor versus being the owner operator. But I made that under that structure, I still kept about 80% of the profit for myself. And I was like, you know, I like that. Like, how do I do more of that? Right. So then I started really just getting passionate where I thought, you know, if I'm going to own the asset, I've got to raise capital. So I tell audiences, look, funding equals freedom. Funding comes from you know, joint venturing with somebody like Mike's fund it comes from banking relationships. 
uh, equity, debt, mezzanine financing, and of course, the final piece of the capital stack, which is true private investors, so mom and pop private investors. And I got passionate for that because I realized I could do more deals. I don't have to rely on banks. And so in 2015, Mike, we created a private equity fund, much similar to some of the things you've done, where we started lending, both for both commercial and residential real estate as a true private lender. I was still flipping my own properties at that time. And we started creating great returns. And so now I got this little taste of commercial real estate, 2015. By 2017, 18, those same investors, Mike, now started telling me, hey, Josh, this is great. We're getting a great return. It's totally passive. But what else do you got? And then I started talking to my other friends, guys in my network about apartments and the ways to syndicate apartments and understand how to invest in apartments. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really incredible. When we first did our first apartment deal and we started receiving quarterly checks with no work. I'm like, oh, this is a great add-on. Let's look at this. Um, and so I would say my journey from residential, the, the, the main point of it, I think, and this is for all of the audiences that are doing transactional deals, meaning wholesaling, rehabbing, maybe being a realtor. There's probably going to be some point in your life where you get ripped away from that and you think, God, why didn't I create passive income? That's what happened for me. And the rest of it's been an evolution where I went from you know, being an active operator to more of a passive investor to more of a fund owner and operator. And now we both owner operate and invest and in, 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 uh, co-GP on apartments. We own 3,500 units. We raise $80 million. And so it's been a very much just a normal kind of evolution. Learn and change. Learn and pivot. Learn, do something a little bit different. Um, I wish I could tell you that I, I wish I had started investing in apartments 20 years ago. Uh, but I didn't, you know, it's you kind of live and learn and it's the lessons along the way. If you're not paying attention to the lessons, it's really going to hurt you. Pay attention to the lessons. What did you like? What did you not like? What worked? What didn't? That will lead you down the next path to ultimately enjoy what I feel is forever passive income. That's the ultimate game, forever passive income. that's going to pay you forever. That's my journey, kind of a long evolution, Mike. That's how it went. Yeah, thank you for that share. Uh, it, it's a great share. It's a great, it's a great journey. Um, and most people have the gradual evolution. And uh, it's not an easy one, uh, but it, it does take realization one day that you need to have essentially passive uh, portfolio and passive investments and passive cash flow. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic well, all the, lesson. All the great books, Mike, that talk about real estate as an investment, not there's definitely the books about wholesaling, rehabbing, transactional type of work, but you know the cash flow uh, quadrant. Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad didn't talk about flipping really. What he ultimately talked about was owning the asset and the equity and the cash flow it created. Many people fall in love with real estate because of one of those early books that they read, but they missed the point of owning the asset long term. Whether it's owning the note, whether it's owning the real estate but they own it long-term and that's what's created passive income. I read the book and for like 10 years, I spaced out and didn't pay attention to the book, right? And finally I woke up one day and now it's, you know, it's been working like gangbusters for us. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's funny how it is. Uh, a lot of us focus on, focus on transactional revenues. You gotta pay the bills. But once you start paying the bills, you gotta invest every incremental dollar you can into that passive uh, cash flow. Uh, basically build 
net worth, not necessarily income. High income people, I know too many high income people, uh, they, they, they don't invest that well. It's, it's funny how it is. They just get used to all the income that goes spent all of it. But the reality is if you can you know, live within your means and invest, you could generate you know, much better um, safety margin in the future. It's, you know, it, it's high net worth to cash flow is the, uh, or, or, or high income to uh, high net worth and, and a passive cash flow is the path. Now let's talk a little bit about raising capital. So yes. when you do your deals, uh, who do you raise capital from? And <laughs> you use the word mom and pop. I use the same word yeah. from time to time too. So a lot of, uh, and I mean this with total respect and love and appreciation to a lot of non-professional investors, and we call them all mom and pop. They're not as sure as sophisticated as us as small fund managers, or you know, we're small institutional investors. And we obviously do a little bit, you know, tougher negotiations whenever we invest, and we 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 we, we, we kind of a little bit more, let's call them a t- tougher crowd. But your general mom and pop, how do you raise money from mom and pop in, into your fund or funds or one-off deals? Just give me some you know, your, your basic framework for capital raising when you have a one-off deal and when you have a, um, uh, you know, you have a fund, ongoing fund. Mm-hmm. So I think it really starts with um, everyone's going to look online for proof. So it starts with step number one, in my opinion, is some sort of thought leadership, website, platform, podcast, YouTube channel, or all of the above. Right. I learned at a very young age that marketing is sales in print. So marketing through a podcast, marketing through email marketing, marketing through YouTube videos, marketing through your website or your newsletter is a way that you now become a person of authority. You can create that authority out of thin air. Nobody gives you the authority. You take the authority by saying, this is my position on the market. That's step number one. You have to have a flag, take your flag and plant it in the ground and say, this is what I stand for. And what I mean is, this is the type of investments that I make, whether it's a fund structure like Tempo, or whether it's a one-off deal like a syndication, or what do you believe in, right? Start with that. This is how we invest, okay? Let me, let me just comment on this. So I love that point. I think that is a critical point. Uh, I'm sure you read that Kennedy is no BS marketing uh, to the affluent. Oh, yeah. And it's ACE authority, credibility, experience. You have to, or he called it exclusivity on the, the other angle, but I like the, the experience. You, you show your authority, your credibility, and your experience because people need to know, like, and trust you before they're going to invest the money. So we're on the great. same page. Absolutely great, great yeah. point. Continue. So what, do you, what do you stand for? Here's what I stand for, okay? This is, these are some of the, some, these are seven pillars of what we do, what we believe in, what we invest in. Number one, we only invest in deals where we can invest at about 70% of its true value. We, so we value invest, whether it's an apartment building, whether it's a, a mobile home park, whether it's even an e-commerce business that we invest in, whether it's a fund, we want to invest at a discount. Number two, we want to be in a situation where we can get three years, approximately three years or less, a return of our principal. Okay, we don't, I don't like to be involved. I ran a fund and people put money in, they kept money in for five years or longer, but they had the option to cash out and get out of that fund after two years. So if I do a syndication or an apartment transaction, I wanna have a structure where through uh, an exit strategy, whether it's a sale or a refi, that we can return investors equity within three years or less. Number three, there has to be immediate cash flow to a passive investor. I don't like deals where it's like, well, if we do this, this, and that, 
hopefully we'll generate some cash flow in 18 months. No. What I stand for are deals where they're going to provide immediate cash flow for the passive investor. Now, Mike, you and I both know as an operator, because I'm also an operator on a lot of deals, we may not make immediate cash flow as an operator, but the passive investors are making immediate cash flow. That's number three. Number four, we got to have an experienced operator. So if I am investing passively and I invest in, in co-syndicate, co-GP a number of deals, I'm investing with a partner that has experience. That's number four. Number five, it's got to be in the Midwest for me. What I stand for is deals in the Midwest, the Southeast, and the South. So you're talking about areas like Ohio, Indiana, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we just did a deal in Houston, a 552-unit. We own a 200-unit in Mobile, Alabama. That's important to us. That's number five. Number six is we want to do deals where even when we get our principal back, we want to have equity in perpetuity, right? So like you, you, you hear this all the time from different people, probably most famously by Kevin, uh, Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank, where he always talks about perpetuity, perpetuity, cash flow and perpetuity. That's a big royalty. Deal. He likes and royalty. Last, yeah. And, and number seven is there has to be multiple exit strategies. There's got to be ways where we can either refinance, we can bring in more capital, refinance people out, we can sell. Uh, there has to be multiple exit strategies within those investments. So that, those seven things, Mike, to me, that's my flag. That's step number one is planting your flag and saying, this is what we do. This is what we believe in. Then from there, right, this content machine has to kind of come out. This podcast, your podcast, Mike, is an example. It could be going to meetup groups, seminars. It could be Facebook lives, Facebook groups, YouTube videos, LinkedIn posts, whatever. You've got to get your message out to the market, right? Not going to recruit a lot of capital if you sit behind your computer and don't talk to people, don't market yourself. Marketing is sales. And I think Joe Polish I heard that from Joe Polish 10 years ago. It resonated with me. Marketing is sales in print. So, you know, thought leadership and then the content machine is, is, is really where it all begins. Uh, you know, we spend probably in my company, probably somewhere between five to $8,000 a month through a, a podcast producer, copywriters, um, you know, video editing, all that different kind of stuff. And it all has delayed gratification, Mike, like you know, because we don't make immediate cash from that. What we do is we recruit capital from it. And I have people that often I meet them, talk with them. They go to our website. Then we then we nurture them and they don't invest for two, three, four years since I met them. So you got to have this long-term approach. So I have this six-step process, but those really are the first two steps. Number one is creating this thought leadership platform, taking authority, and planting your flag, that's step number one. And step number two is just putting out content to the world and then having a call to action where people can opt in or join your platform, join your website, join your membership site. So now they're in this exclusive club, right? So those are the first two real big steps. We spend a ton of time on that. Um, and that's allowed us to recruit and raise tons of money. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Let me just provide a quick commentary i absolutely like how you call it planting a flag i call it building your investment box right you mm -hmm. you gotta have the rules and those rules make a lot of sense for you it's the cash flowing assets right with experienced operators with a good uh plan to refire to resell and a uh, number of other 
you know, those seven pillars that you mentioned, I think they're critical and it makes a ton of sense. And I absolutely love these type of deals. <laughs> I would say the only challenge is finding great cash flow deals with easy sure. refi strategy at a 70% discount to the fair market value is freaking hard. I can't yep. find a better word. That's why we do things a little bit differently. We love this stuff, but we do. We have a family of funds and we do um, uh, income investing and those are perfect for income investing. Uh, but uh, you know, my two cents is we expand our horizons into growth deals where they, there is no cash flow. We convert a hotel or invest in a conversion of a hotel to multifamily that creates that uh, at that 70% or better type of deal. But it, it's, it's initially heavy lifting because you got no, um, um, you know, you can't find such cash flow deals. You're, you're creating the, 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 the cash flow. So, and nowadays during the hot market, um, some of the ground up developments, even though I'm not a big fan, but sometimes uh, these deals could make sense if they're in the right markets. And I, and I do love the same market you mentioned. Kind of funny how it is. My Bill Alabama, yeah. we have a portfolio of, of, of properties there. But we also invest the same way, just a quick comments. The reason we mobile Alabama, because Jared Irby is there. Jared is one of the guys we invest with, and he's in mm -hmm. CG. You probably know Jared. Sure. Um, anyway, let's continue. So uh, after the, these first two steps, what's next? I, this, by the way, this continuous uh, uh, social media presence and podcasts and newsletters, it continues to build credibility, and it's a slow there's two ways to, to, to raising capital. I call it like you're either pushing a train. It's really hard. It, it takes a long time before you get it going. Or a better way to put it, you're planting a tree. It, it's going to take a few years before you're going to see some, some of the fruits and some of the you know, uh, results of your hard work. Mm -hmm. It's a slow grind, but it is the right process, of course. It takes time. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like uh, you're, 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 you're spot on. You're dead on. There is immediate... You know, regardless of who you talk to, they're all going to say they invest with people that they know, like, and trust within their network. So I would say even a step before the whole, you know, thought leadership platform is, is really looking at, you know, who's in your network now, right? When I first started raising money, Mike, very similar to you, probably, you know, I, I wrote a simple newsletter. I started sending out once a quarter to people that I already knew, and I didn't assume they would invest with me. I really thought about four things. I thought about people that could, I, they could buy a property from me, buy a house from me at that time. They could sell a house to me that could invest with me or cheerlead for me, right? Because I knew back when I started raising money, I was in my, my, my late 20s. None of my friends had money, but I started sending all of them a newsletter or my early 30s, sending them a newsletter. A number of them referred me to other people that they knew could have been friends, family, colleagues, whatever. And that was originally how I started raising money. And that didn't take years. That, that was pretty quick because I was already in the game with them. I already knew them. Now, that's a limited sphere of who I already knew and who already knew me, liked me, trust me. But I had a friend, one of my first investors called me up, said, hey, man, I got your newsletter. Um, I don't have a lot of money, but let's go, go to lunch. I want to learn more. At lunch, he says, I got 5,000 bucks. I said, well, you know, didn't your wife just quit and leave her job at the bank? She said, yeah. I said, well, you know, you know, her old 401k, her old pension, th those dollars could be invested and earn a great double digit rate of return with, you know, being a private investor with me. And all of a sudden he had no clue that that 150 to $175,000 was available. 
And this is a guy who was in his 30s, you know, uh, early 30s, didn't have a ton of net worth, was, was, was non-accredited. But for me, it was a launching pad. And then since then, he's referred me to dozens of people. So you can start quicker by just simply understanding that, yes, you can work with investors. And we're not pitching. I don't pitch people to invest with me. I show them and educate them about what I do. And then what I say, Mike, is, hey, do you know anybody else? I'm not assuming you have any money. I'm not assuming you have a nickel to your name or that you're interested in passive investing, but do you know anybody else that would want to learn more about what it is that I do? And then what I, what I'm hoping they say is what about me? Right. What about me? Now that I know I can, you can buy properties at 70 cents on the value, get my money back in three years of equity and perpetuity, immediate cash flow. Dude, I'm sitting right here at this appointment with you. What about me? Right. That's what I'm hoping they say. So years ago, that's how I started. I assume nobody had money. Just want to show you what it is that I do. And at the end, I'm going to ask you for referrals and I'm going to cross my fingers underneath the table. And I'm going to say, I hope they say, what about me? And a lot of them did. Okay. So I started that way. Then over time, I knew I had a voice. I knew I could build a thought leadership platform. That was really step number one. Step number two was to, you know, all this content marketing, and I felt really confident what I was doing. Now, step number three is we've got to get them to now. We've got to get them to opt in. We've got to have a scalable way for people to opt in and get information. So the opt in. So you, there's a lot of great platforms out there now that allow investors to opt in and create a profile and for them to uh, have a, a profile, look at your deals. What a lot of people don't do though, is they don't spend any time working on a drip campaign, a regular recurring autoresponder, a regular recurring online and offline marketing campaign, right? So some, Mike, for us, you know, email marketing is great, but it's so diluted because so many people are now digital marketing savvy. Everyone's getting a million emails. They don't pay attention. So the what we've gone to is text messaging and direct mail. So when people opt in, that's step number three. We move to step number four, which is for people to drip on them. We drip on them every week, every month, every quarter until they die. <laughs> we drip on them over and until they just are exhausted with all of the dripping that we're doing with them. That's step number four. This is where you got to commit long-term. Weekly email broadcasts about the market, weekly YouTube type of videos or podcasts, weekly maybe invites to a webinar to check out your deals, and at least a physical newsletter. The people get my physical newsletter and they like, oh my God, you know, I've been thinking about you, Josh. I was reading your newsletter on the toilet and I remember to call you. I get this all the time. Everybody reads our newsletter on the toilet. I don't know why, but that's what I hear. I hear that most often. <laughs> but that's number step number four is you can't just do all this thought leadership and all this marketing and then drop the ball when it comes to follow up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's great, Josh. Great, uh, great comments, and I, I, I happen to agree with you entirely. That that, that that's the right process. Um, you. I call them touching people instead of annoying them to the, just touching them weekly, but you know, as much as you can to the point where um, they actually feel that you're delivering value over time and continues to bring ACE. I mean, it's that relationship and you're absolutely right. You got to ask for referrals. I mean, just the other quick uh, comment that uh, the referrals is by far the fastest, the best uh, way to raise capital. 
because the time to um, uh, the time to uh, build relationship takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So the um, yeah, I mean that's a step number one in capital raising. Yeah. Who do you know that I should know? That's the question. If you can build a relationship, uh, and and that's a step number one before everything else. But I totally agree with all the follow up. Very quickly, we're running out of time. Uh, maybe we do an episode number two. We'll talk a little bit about how do you look at deals and mm -hmm. what um, you know, what's your deal selection criteria, and and, and how to. Uh, I mean, how do you identify, underwrite great deals, negotiate great deals? We'll love to hear about that. Sure. So let's do it in the episode two. Let's come back, schedule the same way you schedule this call. But before you go, uh, how would folks reach you if they wanted to learn a little bit about you, uh, your seven pillars, and 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 so on? Hey, Mike, I, I, I'll tell everybody, go to Freeland, Freeland, like Freeland, like we're giving away Freeland, freelandventures.com. Uh, there they can download our book. They can see our portfolio. Um, they can, you know, just kind of do everything, engage with our YouTube videos, podcast. I want to just fi finish this, this conversation about cap raise, Mike, with one point. I do all of this that we've discussed so far with this one point in mind. When I have a deal to pitch, I want to get the whole group of all these passive investors on a webinar. Here's the secret sauce, Mike. I take my cell phone. I leave it on. I don't mute it. I put it in front of the computer. And when we have a deal to pitch, let's say it's a multifamily deal on apartment, we're going to raise 3 million bucks. We've got room for, let's say 10 investors at 300,000 each. We present the deal, we pitch the deal. And I say, look, the first, I've got 50 people on the line. I've got a hundred people on the line. I've only got room for 10. First 10 people that text me right now are going to get a spot. The other people that don't text me might miss out on this opportunity. And here's where the scarcity comes in. You mentioned scarcity. You mentioned Dan Kennedy. This is in a lot of different sales books, this trigger of scarcity. Now my cell phone becomes a massive tool where I am telling people, text me now. And the first 10 people that text me can get a spot in this deal. Well, now my cell phone starts to ding, 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 right on the live webinar. And we typically sell out a $2 million, a $3 million, a $5 million raise in one webinar within one hour because I put all the work in up front. And now I might have 50, 100 more or more people on the line looking at this opportunity. And I've only got room for a scarce amount. Maybe it's eight people, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20. So that now becomes the secret sauce where you sell out deals in a day versus kind of continuing to bag or nurture people. Hey, can you get in this deal? We're going to close in a week. We oversell and sell out all of our syndications. We've done 13 of them. We've done 13 syndications where we sold out literally the day of the offering because we put the work in up front. We've got everybody now uh, nurtured and on a webinar. And now they're on a webinar. We can present the deal to them. And now we have the scarcity. And I was, it was scary, Mike, at the first time when, when I went from our minimum, minimum investment of 100000 to a minimum of 300000 I was like, oh, God, I don't know if this is going to work. I hope people have $300,000. I don't know if they're going to. You know what? People started to reach up. They started to level up because they wanted to get in. Or they would say, hey, I got a friend I can bring in. Can I bring my friend in? Can we do the 300000 together? And we started to sell out. So all of the stuff we talked about before leads up to the webinar. 
and the cell phone and the dinging of the cell phone in order to sell out quickly. That is how you truly raise money quickly, fast, and, and still respect people and say, hey, you know, you didn't get an opportunity. What you want is a scenario where some people are like, oh my God, I wanted that in, in that opportunity and it's already sold out. Because then the next time they get on the phone early, they get on the webinar early and they're early to make a re reservation. Once you get to that point, it becomes so much easier. You're really in the driver's seat as the authority from there. So that's the last piece. Mike, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Again, freelandventures.com is where people can reach out. And again, Mike, would love to be on another episode. There's so much more we could talk about. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate that. Thank you for that last nugget. That was awesome. The last nugget was just so good. Exactly. Scarcity. Yeah. If you don't take action, you're going to miss the boat and uh, people. And then you've got the waiting list of people because they missed the boat. So makes a ton of sense. Appreciate your wisdom. Schedule a follow-up the same way. Let's do another one. And uh, like we chatted, I'll come as a guest on yours. Appreciate you and have a great day and uh, stay well. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks for having me on that show. Thank you. Josh. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.